0: Thank you guys, as you're being seated, let's take our Bibles this morning and open them uh, once again to Romans chapter eight. And uh, I promise you, we're eventually gonna get out of chapter eight in this series through the book of Romans and uh, planning on concluding chapter eight next week. And uh, we're getting a great deal out of this, aren't we? And uh, I've certainly enjoyed Drilling down a bit on some of this and I hope that you have as well and let me just join in uh, by welcoming you and especially if you're our guest today we're so grateful that you're here to be a part of our worship experience and whether in person or online we we do hope and pray that as uh, this service has unfolded through the songs that have been sung uh, in worship and praise and adoration the prayers that are offered the message that is proclaimed. Our hope is, is that through your sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Spirit, that you may be brought to a place of decisions in your life, transformation in your life. That for some of you, it may mean becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, or if you're already a follower of Christ, becoming a part of a church family, which is always vital uh, to the Christian experience, being plugged into a local community of believers. But we would love to be able to to come alongside you and help you in that uh, process and pray with you about that out what that means. And uh, so we do hope that you'll take the time to uh, text uh, whether today or during the course of the week, just text FL Respond to uh, 833-571-3475. And that way we can follow up with you and uh, have a conversation with you about whatever decisions it is the Lord is laying on your heart. William Willimon is the retired dean of chapel at Duke University. He's a scholar, a prolific writer, but he he says that one of the shortcomings of contemporary Christianity, he's speaking to the West, the church in the West, one of the shortcomings of the contemporary church, uh, contemporary Christianity, is its failure to take seriously the hard realities of life, the reality of evil in the world. Uh, the reality of suffering, the reality of death. He says contemporary Christianity fails to take those things seriously. Instead, he says, most want only a Christian religion that increases their happiness, that improves their lifestyle. That all they really want with a Christian religion is they want a self-help religion, a self-help guide uh, for those who are already inherently strong and inherently good. And they will spend their energies chasing after that product like any other consumer good. The reality is, is that for every one of us who are here, There will come a day, there will come a time, a season in life. It may be be sitting in a doctor's office one morning or one afternoon when you hear the diagnosis of cancer. It may be when you awaken 3 a.m. in the morning unable to sleep because you have buried a spouse, a child. And you realize that your life will never be the same again, that your life has been marked now between life before that event and life after that event, it will be a degree of pain that sitting here in an air-conditioned room behind stained glass walls on a cushioned pew, it will be a degree of pain that you will never imagine. If you have spent your energies, your spiritual energies, searching for a self-help kind of religion that, that just increases your happiness or improves your lifestyle, and you can find it out there, it's in those moments where you will wish for something more, that you will wish your life was built upon more that you had drilled down deeper in the pursuit of a faith that has survived through through the millennium, that has begun foundational to the great saints of old. That will be the kind of faith for which you long, for which you groan in the most difficult days of life that will come. You will want an assurance. That shallow contemporary religion simply will not give you. That's what Paul is offering here in our text this morning at this point as we pick up in verse 26, having left off there in verse 25. Paul is offering to believers, saints, in the context of suffering. His offering to us words of of reassurance. Maybe you had the anticipation that Paul was going to say, be a follower of Christ and all of your sufferings will disappear, will go away. On the contrary, he says in verse 17, he says, we are heirs, if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Now Paul wants to offer to the people of God, Those believers that are in times of hardship and difficulty and suffering, he seeks to offer to them and to us words of reassurance. It's a prayerful reassurance that he offers here in verses 26 and 27. He begins in verse 26 saying, now, in the same way, Now, when you hear Paul use that language, now in the same way, it's linked to something that preceded it. And we'll know we finished up there in verse five. He talked about our perseverance. But if we hope for what we do not see through perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Well, what is it through which we persevere? What is it for which we hope and desperately long for and eagerly wait for as a people of God? Well, it's the adoption of, of our body, the redemption of our bodies in verse 22. Twenty-three. Those verbs, same verbs, are going to drive our verses that, that follow. That all of creation is groaning for its redemption. Our bodies are awaiting the redemption that, that is to come. We long for what God has in store for us because we have experienced the first fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit has started within us a work and a transformation that that will not be consummated until the coming of the age, the final judgment of God when we will receive our eternal bodies and, and we will reign with Christ in glory, meaning we will join in the sovereign rule of God over all of creation. And so that's what this is linked to now in the same way, the same way that that we persevere and wait for the redemption of all creation. Now in the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness. How often do we hear in the midst of suffering the cry, and perhaps we've cried it ourselves, where is God in all of this? If God is truly God, where is God? Well, verses 26 and 27 revealed to us that God is in the very midst of our suffering. He is in the very midst of our groaning. Now, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. I love the word that is translated here as helped. It's a a word that's used elsewhere in in Scripture. It It means to take hold of together. And so the Spirit of God comes and takes hold of our weaknesses, our sufferings, and that's what the weaknesses are to which he is alluding. It's our, our sufferings. Context is everything. He's talking about suffering. Our weaknesses, the sufferings that we are experiencing now in this present tense. And so now in the same way, the Spirit also helps our, our weakness bearing something together and frankly the Holy Spirit in this context is getting the short short end of the stick he is bearing the heaviest load helping us to bear our weakness in a way that we simply cannot ourselves for we do not know in the context of this kind of intense suffering he says for we do not know what to pray for as we should but the holy spirit in himself it himself but the holy spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words and listen church your groanings are adequate okay there's nothing lacking in you in your times of suffering when you don't even know what to pray your groanings are adequate And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In a summary view of verses 26 and 27 here, what, what, what Paul is doing is he is bringing to fruition, he is bringing to conclusion, if you will, his full teaching regarding the work of the person of the Holy Spirit in the life of, of believers, especially as, as he initiated it back in verse one, but especially in verse, in verse 18 where he says, for I consider that the suffering, sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And now as he talks about the role of the person of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Living God, the Spirit of the Resurrected Christ, He says that He is there helping us in our weakness in a time when we don't even know what to pray. He's not talking about ignorance of of how to pray. These groanings of which Paul is speaking, he is, talking about, he is talking about a pain, listen church, he is speaking of a pain of such intensity that no vocabulary can capture it. But the assurance is, is that our groanings are sufficient for the person of the Holy Spirit to do his work and to accomplish his work. Oh, what it picks up here is the tension between our present suffering and the future redemption that is to come. And he's really talking about our priestly role as, as a people of God, a royal priesthood. We, uh, we are the people that, as the people of God, that stand between, between the earthly and the heavenly. And when the wet rest of the world is, is despairing, when, when, when the rest of the world is in conflict, uh, we even in our groanings, in our groaning the Holy Spirit is making intercession that the will of God will be made manifest, that the will of God and the purposes of God will be fulfilled. If you haven't had those times in your life, you've will when you don't even know what to pray and we understand that we as the people of God were to pray for for the will of God that it might be be accomplished we we see this ignorance of how we are to pray or this not knowing what to pray when uh, James and John remember when they were arguing and asking Jesus that one might sit on the right and one on the left in glory Jesus said you don't even know what you're asking Because Jesus understood that such things are are of the will of God and the purposes of God. What what is going to be appropriate and fitting for for the purposes of God, the redemptive purposes of God to be fulfilled? You and I, by our nature in times of hardship and suffering, what do we immediately pray for? We pray for a change of circumstances. But you know, in the entirety of, of Scripture, the teachings of Jesus, the writings of Paul... You never find any instruction on prayer for the purpose of changing circumstances. But every one of us, because we are still bound, hostage in this flesh, each one of us by default most often go in our prayers to asking for a change of circumstances. Listen, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, belittling us in any way as humankind because if you're doing if you've done that before don't don't beat yourself up and go oh how could I be so shallow you're in good company Jesus himself asked for a change of circumstances he asked that his present tense suffering and situation might go away You know, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, when when he prayed, he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. It's a cup representing responsibility, destiny. And Jesus in his humanity, I mean, who wants to die at 33 years of age? Lord, Father, Abba, are you sure we've really explored this fully? Are there not other possibilities, are there not other options that we have for for your redemptive purposes to be fulfilled? But because Jesus knew the mind of God, the heart of God, the thoughts of God, the will of God, just as the Spirit, Paul says, understands the heart and the mind of God. Jesus may have been the rarest among us because he was able to turn in a moment of that praying from if it's possible, let this cup pass from me to to what? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, that's the primary concern of saints is that the will of God might be accomplished. Verse 27 again, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints. That's the name for you as a follower of Christ, for me as a follower of Christ, saints, the people of God. We are a people that want primarily at the forefront, thy will be done. We want the purposes and the will of God to be fulfilled. And so, what Paul is assuring us of, and what he's been doing in this entire section on suffering, is that when you suffer and you experience the trials of life, listen, I want you to know that your your groanings are sufficient. What the Holy Spirit is doing for you, when you are so overwhelmed by your circumstances, you can be assured that the Holy Spirit, who knows the thoughts and the mind of God and the will of God, that He is your intercessor. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He is our intercessor. When you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit in you, who knows the mind of God, the will of God, the thoughts of God, he is praying to God on your behalf that the will of God might be done. Part of this is, again, we have a failure to understand and to appreciate The fullness of God's redemptive purposes. Part of our lacking in knowledge not knowing what to pray is we don't see the full picture of of creation God redeeming the entirety of creation. Sadly in our revivalist tradition in the west we have made salvation into something that that is small in scope. We uh, we relate to salvation in terms of me just missing hell and making it to heaven. But no, the scripture doesn't even hardly speak to that model. It's more the full redemption of God, the redemption of creation. And as a result, you and I are caught up in this. But it is achieved as we pray, as this is our vocation as a praying people, even in our suffering. Listen, the second thing I want you to realize that. And this reassurance that Paul is giving to us, it's a, it's a prayerful reassurance, but it's also a purposed reassurance that your suffering is not without purpose. And we know Paul's writing is as if, as if this is a given among the people of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Doesn't say God causes all things doesn't say that all things are good, but we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, this is not some trite cliche. This uh, this verse has been so abused and maligned and misapplied and misinterpreted and used as a proof text to apply to every circumstance in in life that's not really what Paul is doing again context is everything to sound biblical interpretation but there's two two criteria here and he says that that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose but calling is the language of conversion new birth born again Again, in our tradition, sometimes we've t- taken that idea of calling and just made it into a, a something, a vocational call for a specialized few. No, not at all. The idea of the calling of God, when you decide to become a, a follower of Christ, you are answering the call of God. That becomes your vocation now. Your vocation is to be a follower of Christ, to be a part of his redemptive purposes, Ours is a purposed calling to be a part of what God is seeking to accomplish in the redemption of all creation. Listen, if you come to the Christian faith with a consumer mind, mindset, what do you do for me? How are you going to accommodate my, how are you going to accommodate my whims, my desires? How are you going to entertain me to keep me? Listen, you're going to be miserable, at least if in the pursuit of a biblical kind of faith. Because to become a follower of Christ from a biblical perspective means that I'm now joining in in the redemptive purposes of God, not mine. That it's not about me, it's not about my likes, it's not about my dislikes, it's not about my preferences, but it's about becoming a part of the redeeming purposes of God. We know that God causes all things, what things, not anything. He's talking about suffering once again. Your suffering is not in vain. For we know that God causes all things. He's talking about your present sufferings. That's what the context is. God makes all of your present sufferings. They're a part of something bigger. You see, just just as God in in his purposes, just as God uh, in the fulfillment of his purposes found it necessary to send forth a suffering servant, according to the prophets, Isaiah. Just as God used the suffering of a suffering servant, his son, to accomplish his purposes, listen, in no less a way he will use your sufferings and mine as a part of his redeeming purposes in the world. part of the mystery of the faith. This mystery of what God is is accomplishing, working together all things, all of your sufferings for good. Listen, this is not good by human convention. This is not good according to this world's standard, by this world's definition of good. That's not the good of which he speaks. Remember, he's talking about the fullness of redemption. He's talking about the redemptive purposes of God you can be sure that God is going to work all of your sufferings and hardship to his redemptive good for his redemptive purposes in the world. And so the assurance of Paul is that even in the midst of your most heartrending circumstances, the purposes of God will not be negated. It does not jeopardize the glory of God being fulfilled in you. You're a co-heir. Your suffering does not undo the promise of verse 17 that you are an heir, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed you suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And it is a promise of scripture here in verse 28 It is a promise of God's nature, it is a promise of God's integrity, rooted in the presupposition of what preceded it in verse 27, and that is the will of God. Now Paul's not trying to theologize prayer here. What he's trying to do is to make us understand that prayer is is not, he he wants us to know, not that it would have been an issue for his audience then, but perhaps what we need to understand is that prayer is not some magic bullet. Save your money on the self-help books and the religion section on how to pray in a way that manipulates God. If you use the right phrases or the right inflection, somehow you can manipulate God. Prayer is not a magic bullet. Prayer for the saints is the means by which in the most adverse circumstances of life, the Holy Spirit continues interceding on our behalf, praying that the will of God will be accomplished in us, his people, as we persevere and endure and eagerly await what is to come. Which moves me to a final thing of reassurance that Paul offers, not just his prayer prayerful reassurance or a purposed reassurance, but also a planned reassurance. Don't think that you and I have been dropped into a world of randomness. That somehow God is a distant agent who created the universe and uh, just sent it out spinning to be what it is. Let the chips fall where they Made. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, Paul says, for those whom he, he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. And that's the driving subject in this, our becoming conformed to the image of his son son not just in in behavior but also as we will see in in glory joining with him as co-heirs in Christ Jesus being a part of the sovereign rule of God over all of creation to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters he is the forerunner of what you and I are to become these whom he predestined, verse 30, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. I want you to look closely at these, these verses, 29 and, and 30, because sadly they, they have been given a twist the past 500 years in theological history that, that really is a departure from the 1500 years that preceded it as far as as understanding but when paul writes for those whom he foreknew speaking of god's foreknowledge is to know that he had a plan we weren't just wound up and spun out chips fall where they may god had a plan god had a god had a blueprint all of this was, was predetermined by God. This plan, this plan is the mystery of which Paul writes so often in the New Testament. This is, this is the mystery that has been hidden through the ages, but, but has now been revealed and, and made known in the person of, of Jesus Christ. And so you and I are a part of the unfolding of this mystery. It has been made known to us, this predetermined plan, this blueprint. We now then can go, oh, now I see what God is doing, what God has accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Now this idea of being predestined, this isn't God playing favorites. We need to dismiss that notion. It's about a 500 year old notion, but it's not a 2000 year old notion. It's unfortunate that, that this has been translated and uh, that, it's, that it's no longer understood as a, as a doctrine of, of inspiration but is now understood by most as being a doctrine of exclusion. That's not even what Paul is talking about. Paul's intention in writing to these, to these persecuted believers who are living in the, most, in the most adverse of circumstances is not to offer to them a doctrine of, 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 of what shall we call it, exclusion, speculative exclusion. That's the last thing a, perse- a persecuted people need, a suffering people need, is what I'm going to offer to you is a doctrine of speculative exclusion. And it's sad that that has replaced what it was intended to be, which is a doctrine of reassuring inclusion. That you are a part of the redemptive purposes that God is seeking to accomplish and will accomplish in all of creation. It's not meant to create confusion. God is not the author of confusion. This is not God saying some people are more elite than than others. Some people get it and others don't. And so I'm I'm going to to, to predetermine some that are going to heaven and hell and and the rest of you just on your own. does not even match up with, with the context of what Paul is addressing. Listen, church, the author and finisher of our faith is not John Calvin. It is Jesus Christ. And Paul is offering words of reassurance to a persecuted people that you hang in there. In fact, Paul is building up a crescendo here that I I don't want us to miss, you see how how he moves through this text, this word of reassurance that we might become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and these whom he predestined. He also called and those he called, he justified and those he justified, he glorified. Don't miss what Paul is doing Paul it's it's as if Paul is stepping into eternity and, and now all of these things having become realities that we who have been called predestined called justified glorified now then Paul is standing in the middle of it and he's looking back with certainty. And he's saying to a persecuted people that are suffering in the present tense, listen, this is what's going to happen. This is the theological reality of what God has accomplished through Christ Jesus for you. And you hang in there. You are a special people that God has called out, that God has made right Don't you give up. Don't you let the present circumstances that are going to soon fade. Do not let the present trials of this world detract you from what you're a part of the redemption of all creation. Do not be discouraged. God has a plan. Predetermined plan, a blueprint to get you and to get me, regardless of our circumstances and trials. He has a plan to get us to the finish line. So until then, you just keep fighting the good fight, keep the faith, you finish the course. And as he says in verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, through perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. You endure, child of God, you're an heir, a co-heir with Christ Jesus. And the day is coming, the redemption of all creation. When as a co-heir, you will be in glory with Christ. You will be a part of the sovereign rule of God of all creation. And your faith and your endurance will be vindicated. Let's pray together. Our Father, might we be steadfast in spirit. While we know that principalities and powers would seek to prevail against us through the circumstances of life. Father, I pray that we each one might have that kind of faith and that kind of hope that is rooted not in what is seen, but what is unseen. That you would give to us a future hope, a hope that is rooted in what is to come, that sees past the pain of the moment to the prize at the end that we would be among those who endure to the end, that you have predestined, that you have marked, that you have called, that you have made right, justified, and just await that day when we are finally glorified and reign with you in your sovereign rule over all of creation.